Novel Finds, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. Hey, it's me, Maggie. And me, Julia. And we're coming at you today with a little episode. I don't know why I said that so little. It's not a little episode. I'm so excited for this episode. We have been trying to do this episode for at least a season and a half. It's kind of ridiculous how long it's taken us to do this, but it's mostly just because the book is so large. Dense. It's it's dense and it's a hefty read. And every time we tried to reread it, we were like, oh, we're too busy. We're like, now is not the time. Um, (laughs) The time. Um, But despite our busy schedules, we made the holiday season the time that we were going to fit it in. And I reread the whole thing. I'm so proud of myself. Which I mean, honestly, it is a good holiday book. It takes place in the winter. It's like just after Christmas or just after the new year. So it's snowy and cold and you want to wrap yourself up in a blanket and read it. Um, I did not finish my reread, but I have read this like three times. So we'll allow it then. No worries. But it is totally a holiday. It's a January read. Every Mm -hmm. time Zachary was talking about drinking hot chocolate, I was like, ooh, cozy. Um, I know, right? (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) Maybe we should actually like tell people what the title of it is in case they didn't realize in, in the episode title. Let's just keep it a mystery and have them guess and at the Perfect. very end. Okay. Love that. <laughs> It'll be like the movie that you go to see, like you know what the ticket says, but then the title doesn't come until the end of the movie. Exactly. We're kidding. Um, You guys, we wouldn't do that to you. Uh, today, I, I absolutely would. I, <laughs> it's a good thing you guys have me. Just to be uh, clear. <laughs> uh, today, we are talking about The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern. Woo! Woo-woo. So to kick us off, I'm going to give us a summary. I know the last time we talked, I said that I was going to give you two summaries. One casual, fun, silly summary where I just basically say everything that happens and it's total spoiler heavy. And then one where it's like the Goodreads back of the book summary. However, Starless Sea is way too complicated for me to even try to do that. There are too many puzzles to this piece, pieces to this puzzle. Honestly, excuse me. It would, it, no, I mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't even realize that's what you said. Oh my gosh. So embarrassing. How the turned tables. No, um, it would take the entire episode for you to do yeah. that summary. So, And the best part about this book is slowly figuring out how everything comes together. And if mm-hmm. I were to spoil that, it would be a really big spoiler of the enjoyment of the story, not just of the plot. So I did not do that because you guys, we'd be here for two hours (laughs) if I were to tell you everything that happens in this book. So instead, please let me read to you this tiny summary that I found on Wikipedia. Please enjoy. Mm, I love that. Oh, it starts with just a little disclaimer, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Wikipedia. (laughs) I love Wikipedia. Uh, (laughs) The Starless Sea does not have a linear plot, but rather is a pastiche of a modern narrative, folktales, mysterious biographical snippets, stories within stories within stories, and the made-up history of the fantastical world in which it takes place, all interlocking and intertwining. The modern narrative follows Zachary Ezra Rollins, who is a graduate student at a New England university. One day he finds in the library a book called Sweet Sorrows, with no author or publication information. 
and is amazed to discover that among its fairy tales and textual snippets, it also tells stories about him, and especially of an incident when he was a child and came across a magical door. Afraid to discover magic isn't real, he demurred to go through it. Sweet Sorrows, however, describes the magical library on the other side of the door and the starless sea upon which it sits. Zachary sets out on a quest to find out more and finds a literary masquerade ball in Manhattan where he meets two other characters central to the book. Mirabelle, who he later discovers is a part of the magical underground world upon the starless sea, and Dorian. Dorian steals Sweet Sorrows from Zachary and blackmails him into breaking into the premises of a secret guardian society to retrieve a book that he, Dorian, requires. This mission and the action that ensues end up with Mirabelle saving Zachary and taking him through a doorway in a park. Here, Zachary first encounters the magical realm he read about earlier and meets the Keeper, who is in charge of the sanctuary they all reside in while there, and Rhyme, an acolyte in charge of the library and its books. Though Mirabelle is clearly pushing Zachary forward to some objective, she is not forthcoming about what it is or how to get there. Zachary continues to be swept along on currents of stories and characters, along the way also managing to save Dorian from the clutches of Allegra, the leader of the Guardians. While Allegra claims she is actually protecting the library, Mirabelle and the Keeper, who live within it, see her as an enemy. And indeed, Allegra proves herself capable of any evil act imaginable in the pursuit of her goals. Dorian and Zachary are quickly becoming a potential love match, but they find themselves torn apart by the weird and mysterious events of the underground world. Each of them encounters figures from previous biographical tales as well as fables, and these encounters eventually bring the various and seemingly unconnected story strands to their fateful and fabulistic close. That's a really good summary. Yeah, Wikipedia really gave you, I think... It it gave like a linear summary of a non-linear story. It totally did, and it gave you a few minor spoilers, but just enough so you understand where this is going to go. Yeah, but also like you wouldn't know that there's spoilers... If you haven't read the book. That's true. And I don't, I mean, there's stuff that you find out pretty quickly. Yeah. 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 Nice job, Wikipedia. Good job. Um, So Julia, do you have any fun facts for us? I, you know what? I do. Um, I didn't look any up. So these are kind of like whimsical fun facts just because we know a lot about Erin Morgenstern and I feel like we talk about her a lot, uh, similarly mm-hmm. to V.E. Schwab. So it's just one of those, like, the last time I did Erin Morgenstern actual fun facts was our very, very first episode in the very, very first season. Um, and being like, The Night Circus was written in NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month, which is November. Um, but Starless Sea was not written in then. It is her second book. They are not connected. And she has a cat. She has a cat named Lady Vesper. Um, mm-hmm. There are way more names to that. But like her Instagram is, I think, Lady Vesper Cat or something. And the cat is adorable. It is like a smush face cat, but a short haired smush face cat with green eyes. And like sometimes she'll post on her personal Instagram with Lady Vesper, like, doing something silly in it or, like, biting a book or something. And I'm just like, oh, her cat is adorable. Her cat is so Aww. cute. So you should definitely check out that Instagram and, like, follow the cat because she's cute. Um, Another fun fact I have is about you, Maggie. Can I tell people? 
Go for it. Yeah. You already know it's in store because I got permission before this. But um, let's pretend like you didn't know what I was going to say. Maggie has a tattoo related to the Starless Sea. Um, It's on your arm, right? It is on the arm. Yeah. It's the B, the key, and the sword uh, symbols that happen, which is really cool. It's the symbols that are on like the inside of the book. And they're also the three main symbols in the storytelling mm-hmm. world of the Starless mm-hmm. Sea. And I loved this book so much. And I love the Night Circus so much. So I got a little Aaron Morgenstern mashup tattoo on my yeah, arm. Yeah, yeah. Um, you also worked at Starbucks, which I leads did. into our warm-up question. Yeah. I recently learned that you used to work at Starbucks. Like, I literally didn't know. Uh, I feel like... It's something that I should have known. And then when you dropped it on me in a Patreon, I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I know. For like four years, I was Yeah. Starbucks. Like, how did I not know that? I have no idea. <laughs> but yeah. So two fun facts about you. One about Aaron's cat. Um, let's lead into our warm-up question, Maggie. Yes. Because you worked at Starbucks. What is your favorite item on the Starbucks secret menu? Okay. I want to say as a Starbucks employee, we hate it when people bring up the secret menu because they are under the assumption that we actually have a secret menu. You can make (laughs) any form of drink you want, but we would have people coming up to us being like, can you make the Percy Jackson Twinkle Star Splendor. And we'd be like, L- I I don't know what that like, is. Do you have the recipe for it? Like, yeah. I can make it for you. Just don't call it that. Exactly. I was like, if you give me what the ingredients are, I can make it for you. So, mm-hmm. yes, there's a secret menu, quote unquote, because you can do whatever you want with the syrups and the sauces mm-hmm. and the milks and the whipped cream. But we don't keep a hidden menu from people. <laughs> And there's it's not no, like, like locked in a vault yeah. that you pull it out. <laughs> there's no like code words to get some sort of <laughs> fun drink that you want. Um, uh, it yeah, I'm crazy. Honestly, I'm really glad to hear you say that because my anxiety kept me from ever asking for anything. When I'm just like, when I find a secret menu, quote unquote, like thing on Pinterest, being like, oh, that looks really good. Maybe I'll get that at Starbucks. And then I'll get there and I'll be like, I don't want to ask them for this because I don't know what I'm doing and I'm just going to get my regular thing and go. Thanks. Yeah. So if you, I'm glad to know. Yeah, absolutely. If you have the ingredients, go for it. Ask for whatever you want. But if you're just making up a name to a made up drink, don't, mm-hmm. don't bother your barista with that. <laughs> we, can't, we don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> In the Starless Sea, the character of Mirabelle orders a honey stardust at Starbucks. And I'm here Mm -hmm. to tell you that I don't know what the flip that drink is. And I guarantee no other barista does either. Okay. But in the book, she does say what it is. She does. It's it's like an Earl Grey with what? Soy milk? Soy milk and and lavender or honey or something. Yeah. I have not worked at a Starbucks that has lavender. It sounds delicious, but I've never heard of this drink in my life. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Um. So then maybe not on the secret menu, but what is your go-to order at Starbucks? 
Well, I do have one that would be on the quote unquote secret menu. Mm -hmm. And it is a chider. And you can only get it during the autumnal season when Starbucks is doing their caramel apple spice. So it's steamed apple juice with the chai sauce. And it is the greatest invention I ever invented. It is delicious. (laughs) (laughs) It is so cozy and good. And the the baristas are always a little, because you go and you're like, hey, do you have the things for the caramel apple spice? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, cool. Can I just get the steamed apple juice with chai instead of cinnamon syrup? (laughs) It is so good. I highly recommend it, you guys. 10 out of 10. Do you think that's still available? We kind of switched over into the winter, like holiday drinks. It would just depend how much stock they have. So sometimes like you can get the apple juice well into December. So it's always mm-hmm. worth asking. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. That would be that would be my secret menu suggestion. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. Um, I mean, I, again have never asked for anything on the secret menu because I have too much anxiety for that. Uh, (laughs) But I really like like a London fog. There was a moment like when I read this book the first time, I literally, I did go through a tea phase. I was like, you know what? There's caffeinated tea. I can get as much caffeine as I need from coffee, from Mm -hmm. teas. And so I did that for a while and it was definitely like London fog or a dirty chai. Those are yeah. those are the ones that I like. I don't like chai tea, but I will drink a dirty chai. Yeah, I think chai tea is so different from a chai latte. Like mm-hmm. a chai latte or a dirty chai latte, incredible. Just a chai tea, not really my thing. But no, nah, it's garbage water. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> strong feelings. Well, I just, I mean, I don't drink a lot of tea to begin with. And so when I find ones that I like after having so much error in the trial and error, I really stick to my guns. Mm, Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, Julia, how did you come across this book? Well, I mean, obviously, we're both fans of Aaron Morgenstern. So I feel like we both, when it was announced, we heard about it pretty soon. But when I went to her book tour. I went to her Seattle location, I think, or like just outside of Seattle and got her book um, when I was touring for Missoula Children's Theater and got the book, went to the tour event, got it signed. Um, I think I even got one signed for you. I'm pretty sure like I sent you that and that was You fun. did? Yeah. Yeah. Like it was, it was a really cool thing. And so I read it on tour and then I read it again just after Christmas Um, and then I've read it again in like the past year at some point or like past two years sometime then. Nice. It's hard to say when we or like how we come across it because I feel like books are just always on our radar. Yeah and especially from an author that we both know and like I just Mm -hmm. knew that it was coming out. Mm -hmm. I'm sure she posted about it or someone posted about it and then it was just on my radar for forever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not going to lie. This is like whisper mode. I think I might actually like the Starless Sea more than the Night Circus. <gasps> Who are you? I'm sorry. It's just, I love the vibe of it. It like the Night Circus is really awesome. And I love that vibe too. But this one is cozier. 
Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It would depend on the vibe that you're looking for, but there's definitely something almost lovelier about the Starless Sea, I think, than the Night Circus. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Starless Sea is also all about book lovers. Like, yeah, it's just it's a magical adventure for a normal person about books. And the Night Circus is is really like fantastical and magical. And that one also has like an excellent vibe for just people. It, It has more of a theater, theater kid vibe versus like a book lover vibe. Yeah, I I totally get that. I think mm-hmm. I understand that vibe. Well, Juliet, do you have favorite liner section that you would like to share? <laughs> yes, I do, actually. It mm-hmm. I, it was something that I noticed on like this reread that I didn't finish. I'm just going to keep throwing myself under the bus. I did not finish this this reread. I did get like halfway through though. This is something I did not notice the other 3 times I've read this book. Okay? Okay. I, I'm about to blow your mind. Okay. Unless unless you've already noticed it. Um okay. Zachary removes Dorian's scuffed wingtips, revealing bright purple socks with individually knit toes, and then carefully untangles him from his coat. We're just gonna leave it there. Um the part I would like to emphasize bright purple socks with individually knit toes. Dorian is wearing toe socks, <laughs> and they're bright purple. Our attention, <laughs> like I, I read that and was like, "That's a weird, weird place to put that." Um, and then I thought about it and was like, "Oh my god, Dorian is wearing toe socks." <laughs> Gross. I'm just gonna say, absolutely disgusting. That's a no from me, Dorian. Okay. Amazing. No, I haven't worn toe socks since I was in like fifth grade. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> my mom did have those toe shoes for a while. Have you ever worn those? Um, I've seen them, but no, I'm they look I'm... really weird in the wild. Like seeing someone just wear like regular clothes and then toe shoes are so weird, but. They're actually pretty comfy. Like for I mean, people that like walking around barefoot, they're they're a solid choice. They're supposed to be like really good for you. And it's not like I don't respect that, but but you don't respect that. But they look weird. They do. Like I don't know what to do with them. They do. So, so. that that's my favorite line. Dorian Dorian wearing bright purple toe socks. I'm really grateful that you shared that with us. I'm so glad. Thank you. What about you? Do you have a favorite line in your section? I'm going to share a few sections. So buckle up, you guys. Here we go. So the first section I'm going to share is just something that kind of made me chuckle. And also it just is a really good, I think, look at the characters of Zachary and Mirabelle. So they've just decided to go on their little adventure to try to find Dorian. And they just came out from the harbor and the secret door into New York City. And Mirabelle says, it shouldn't be too long to walk. Sorry, it's so poetry today. So what? Zachary asks, not certain he heard her correctly. Poetry, Mirabelle repeats, the weather. It's like a poem where each word is more than one thing at once and everything's a metaphor. The meaning condensed into rhythm and sound and the spaces between sentences 
It's all intense and sharp, like the cold and the wind. You could just say it's cold out. I could. (laughs) Mirabelle is too much sometimes. She gets really pretentious sometimes. And I'm just like, girl, stop. I think, though, when you've lived for like 100 years, 200 all of infinity of time you kind of have a right to be pretentious Uh, i mean she wasn't wrong but (laughs) when you have to explain what you're trying to say it's kind of like a waste of time i think (laughs) zachary's just like ma'am what's wrong with you (laughs) (laughs) like did you just have a stroke are you okay um so the other thing the other part that i wanted to share so without getting into it too much there's this character called eleanor who is one of the characters who ends up with the book Sweet Sorrows and the stories that give her nightmares or make her sad. She folds up into tiny stars and throws into the abyss. And years and years and years later, Zachary finds these. And so the top bit of this says a paper star with a single bent corner. And it's kind of just this spooky part, but it's to give you sort of an idea of the stories that are in Sweet Sorrows because they're so haunting and they're just very very just an interesting part of the book i think because Mm -hmm. the story sort of stops and they'll just tell a story that's in sweet sorrows that is part fiction part biographical for this world and they're just very interesting so it says nightmare number 113 i am sitting in a very big chair and i cannot get out of it my arms are tied to the chair arms but my hands are gone There are people without faces standing around me, feeding me pieces of paper that have all the things I am supposed to be writing written on them, but they never ask me what I am. And I just, Mm. I don't know what it was about this section. It's not even my favorite section in Sweet Sorrows at all, but there was something about that tiny chunk. And that's the only bit of that story that actually like kind of made me cry. I just thought it was like really beautiful. And the thought that because so much of it is metaphorical and it's just the thought that so many people and especially, you know, me and you are like readers and writers and we have so many thoughts and feelings, but there are so many people who probably have things that they want to accomplish and they'll never get the chance to accomplish. And it was just a really Mm -hmm. dark metaphor for that. That just, yeah. Yeah. Left me feeling Aaron like had that dream. Do you think she's put her personal nightmares in here? I bet she has. I I absolutely would believe that. I wouldn't doubt mm-hmm. that for a single second. Um, yeah. The last one I wanted to share. Sorry, I have so many. Um, this no, one that's is fine. So much more hopeful, and it's my favorite, like beautiful piece of this book. So Zachary is with the character of Simon, and um, Simon is lost in time, so he's basically forgetting himself and forgetting what's going on around him. And Zachary says, who are the stars? It is a question Zachary has thought before, but not yet asked aloud, though he he remains confused as to whether the Owl King is a person or a bird or a type of weather. Simon stares at him and blinks. We are the stars, he answers, as though it is the most obvious of facts afloat in a sea of metaphors and misdirections. We are all stardust and stories. Hmm. I love that. I love that idea. I just... It just made me really happy. Do you think okay, here's a here's a quick thought that I just had as you were sharing that. Um with the title being the Starless Sea, do you think it's called that because there are no more people at the sea? It's like empty by the time Zachary gets there. Um sort of my thought is that um so this is a bit of a spoiler, you guys. If 
you want to skip ahead. But as you continuing on, you realizing that they're coming to an end of a story and that they need to close the chapter. Like people have left the sea and the harbor and sort of this magical realm of stories and it needs to like be reborn. It needs to be Mm -hmm. flooded and to start anew again. And so my thought is that all of the stories had finished. And so there were no more stars in the sea because they needed to start again. Mm. Okay. So similar vein. Similar vein. Yours is more metaphorical than mine is. Yeah. That's mine's very literal. There are no people (laughs) at the harbor. (laughs) Nobody's like, no people? Fine. No stars. Great. Starless. Um, Okay. So. There are tons, not tons, there's like three or four different storybooks that mm-hmm. like story collections that are interspersed throughout like the present day chapters of Zachary experiencing yeah. this journey. We've got like Sweet Sorrows, Fortunes and Fables. What is it? The Ballad of Eleanor and Simon. Um, yeah. I think there's another one. I don't know. Those might be the only three. What do you have a favorite story within those books? Yeah, absolutely. Um, My favorite stories, and I guess it would be a few of them sort of knit together, is anything to do with the Owl King. One thousand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love everything about that folklore. I think it is so interesting, especially how it then plays out in the modern tales of Zachary and Dorian. Um, The story of the the man who makes three swords for his kids. I have that in my list, too. Yeah, I love is- that one. I absolutely love that one. And those are the ones that I actually like remembered because mm-hmm. I read this book when it first came out now, like three years ago. And those were the stories that continued to stick with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you? I, um, so definitely the three swords um, following the Owl King lore. I also it's not my favorite, but I also really liked um, the princess one where her daughter like goes up to the castle with her. Yeah. Um, I thought that one was cool, but I think my all time favorite might be the key collector. Oh, I like that one. It's it's just this sweet little story about a sweet man who collects keys and like everyone in town actually helps him collect them. He's just the one that like keeps them. He has them displayed all over. He wears a bunch of keys everywhere. If anyone's lost a key, they'll go to him and he'll find like a match for them. He has them hanging from trees in his backyard. Like the whole living space while would probably look incredibly cluttered. It just seems so magical. And then it's uh, yeah. His ending to the story is really cute. I liked that. I liked his story. I loved that. That one was Mm -hmm. really, really sweet. Really great. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Hard question for you. Mm -hmm. There are paths to follow if you are living in the Starless Sea, if you're living in the harbor. One of them is the Acolyte. One of them is the Guardian. And one of them is the Keeper. Mm -hmm. Which path would you follow? I have thought about this a lot. I think about it every time I read the book. So I actually have a very quick answer, and it's definitely a keeper. Oh, yeah? Absolutely. I want to be the person to, like, be with the stories and to share them with other people and to write them down and to save them. I just don't think the life of an acolyte or a guardian would be for me. So I definitely don't think the life of an acolyte would be for me. I just, I really don't feel like losing a body part to 
help preserve these stories. I just, that doesn't (laughs) fit well with my mantra of keeping all of my body parts. But (laughs) I do think that I could be a solid guardian. Um, I, I, I like the test that they have where they pick a story and like basically have a year to absorb it and they can tell it by heart and and then they get to guard that story. Yeah. Like I love that. I it is kind of sad that like there's a bit of a perversion in the guardians of this. Like by the time we see what the guardians have turned into, it's kind of harsher than what I think mm-hmm. they were intended to be. Yeah. But I do like the guardians just in general. Absolutely. I totally knew you were going to pick to be a guardian. Did you? Not, absolutely. I am not surprised by this at all. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> I just think it totally fits your vibe. I can see you as being like someone who wants to dedicate their life to protecting the purity and the essence of stories. 1000%. I mean, I can see you being a keeper as well. So it really Thank just you. works out. Yeah. Just want to be cozied up in the library, you know, doing my right? thing. Yeah, that would be really cool. That would be my, out of the three choices, that is my second choice. Yeah, Acolyte is not even on the table for me. No. It seems too overwhelming. Like if I was given the ability to know so much and not share it with people, I don't even know what I would do. (laughs) Well, I don't think, okay, so when we see, I think it's we see Rhyme becoming an Acolyte. Yeah. Um, And like they, they cut out her tongue. But I don't think that is like the the only thing, right? Like you can sacrifice any body part. Okay, so the point of that you're supposed to own you're supposed to lose your tongue because that's the main way that we speak and tell okay. stories. Yeah. But yeah there yeah. is a story of an acolyte losing an eye because she is a painter and the way she tells stories is visually. Mm. And so okay. she sacrifices an eye in order to become one. Yes, yes, that is in the second half of the story that I didn't finish and forgot about that. So, thank you. <laughs> yes. Okay, so Julia, yes. What would you do if you found a book like Sweet Sorrows and it had a snippet of your life in it? I would freak out. That's what I would do. I, just, I don't know. I'd probably do exactly what Zachary did. Zachary Ezra Rollins, who is the main protagonist, uh, he, I mean, becomes obsessed with the book and tries to figure out mm-hmm. what all of this is. Like, I would absolutely do that. And if, like, I read the snippet and read that I had missed my opportunity to go to a magical place, I would be so upset. I I would just, I would be unhinged. I would not be okay. Uh, Yeah, same. I would be (laughs) wildly upset and very disappointed in myself. Oh my God. I would, oh, I don't even know. I like, I'm glad I haven't found a book with a snippet of my life in it because if there's any point that I read, I passed by a knot of trees and then didn't go in the middle of it. That would have transported me. I like, I don't, I don't even know. Like I would go back to that knot of trees and like, take me now. Can we do it? 1000%. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would freak out when I would panic and then I would question my memory and I would wonder if it was deja vu. Mm -hmm. And then I would call my mom and make sure I'm not 
I'm remembering the memory correctly Mm -hmm. to see if I told her about it when I was a child. And then I would be crushed because I made the wrong decision. Do you think your mom would remember? Potentially, yeah. I don't know if my mom would remember. Sometimes I'll bring up memories and she'll be like, what? I don't remember that. I'm like, well, I I do, vividly. <laughs> well, too bad, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Uh, but That's I mean, uh, I don't know. You you have a brother, right? It's only yeah. you and your brother. And yeah. not saying that adding a third child really creates chaos, but my mom had three kids and she was a single mom. So there's yeah. a lot of chaos going on. <laughs> There's a lot more to remember. I'm not yeah. I'm not shaming that at all, you know? And my memory is weird. When you think about times as when you were a kid, mm-hmm. I think about this all the time. Is it my actual memory or is it distorted from things that I was told and pictures that I've seen? Because some things yeah. are I know is a memory and some things I'm like, I don't know if I really remember that or I just think that I remember that. So I don't actually have a ton of memories from when I was a child. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I don't remember really anything. There's random stuff that will pop up every now and then. And so when that happens, I assume that it is like an actual memory because if I intentionally try to go back and remember something, I can't. Like it's just not there. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What does it mean? I don't know. I mean, some people out there say that when you're remembering something, you're remembering the last time you remembered it. And so things get distorted because it's a memory of a memory, you know? Ooh, I don't like that. That's too trippy for me. I can't get behind that, but it's interesting. (laughs) I think it, yeah, it's definitely a very interesting way of thinking about it. And I'm not even saying it's wrong. I'm just saying I can't think about life that way because Mm -hmm. it would make me too sad, I think. I want to know that I have some pure memories. Yeah. Yeah, we need like the inside out memory bank. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, Maggie, one of the coolest parts in this book, in my opinion, is the literary masquerade. It is so cool. It happens in the beginning. And I mean, this whole book is cool, but the literary masquerade is, is so freaking cool. What character would you go as? What literary character would you go as if you went to the masquerade? I had a really hard time picking a character for this, actually, mm-hmm. because I'm not even sure it's one of my favorite characters, but I wanted to pick a story that I really enjoy and that has meant a lot to me growing up. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted it to be something that I could turn into a really, really cool costume. Um, So I decided to go with a character from Peter Pan, which I love Peter Pan, mm-hmm. and Peter Pan tattoo. And I decided um, I would go as like, a uh, Captain Hook. Uh, I love that. Um, but like really I would want to have like a fun hat and instead of like a pirate costume, like like a fun cloak cape and like a really lavish dress. Mm-hmm. I could see that. That would be really cool. Thank you. What were you thinking? I was thinking probably Lila Bard from V.E. Schwab's <laughs> book. Oh my A Gathering gosh. of Shadows. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Dr. Shade of Magic. I was like, I know what it is. I can picture it in my head, but I cannot see the words. Um, <laughs> no, Lila Bard is super cool. Um, I actually almost was her for Halloween a few years ago. But the issue is, I mean, side note, I have an astigmatism in both eyes, which means that my eyes are shaped like footballs instead of rounded. And you can't 
at least at this point, get colored contacts for astigmatism, like with prescription. Um, So people that wear colored contacts either can't see out of them or their eyes are perfect. And so I, because my vision is so bad, I couldn't, I couldn't get like a black contact and then just be blind for half of my vision. That would be terrifying. I know. (laughs) it's 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 but i really wanted to i think it would be so cool at some point i will figure it out and do it but that is the current hang-up i've always wanted to try on colored contacts but i can't see shit when i don't have my glasses or contacts in well maybe you can find prescription colored contacts well that's the thing like now that technology is getting better that it should be available yeah if you just go into the halloween store I can't use those. Like You also shouldn't. There's something about that that gives me the ick. Yeah. And it would definitely give your eyes the ick, too, <laughs> I think. Yeah. I don't love that. So. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. We already sort of answered this question, but we need a resounding answer. Would you go through a, a door if you found one? Yes. Would you? Absolutely. Great. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) So in this book, The Starlet, there is this place called The Kitchen, and you find out what it is at the very end, but The Kitchen Mm -hmm. does give you food, but it also just sort of gives you advice and comfort if you need it. So there's a part where Zachary writes down to The Kitchen, I love you, (laughs) and they write back, we're fond of you too. <laughs> it's just yeah, it's a mysterious kitchen that brings you food and um I would say I would ask. Well, they talk a lot about the cupcakes that the kitchen uh, has. Yeah. So I would want to try one of the cupcakes and of course I would ask for the best cup of coffee that they had. Nice. Nice. I think I don't know. I mean, I love that they have a giant menu that you mm-hmm. can go through. That's really cool. I just love bread. So it would I would ask for like a breaded product probably. But my I don't know, my drink of choice depends on the day or like the time of day. That's fair. Yeah. That's all right. So I, I hope know. you get some really good bread. I do too. <laughs> I just I freaking love bread. Um bread and like honey and butter is Ooh. amazing. Yes. Yeah, like I learned how to make bread in the past year or so. And I just sometimes will make a loaf of bread. And then for breakfast, I'll just add honey and butter on it. I'm like, <gasps> oh, it's so good. Ooh, that sounds delicious. Yeah. I I live my best Hobbit lifestyle when I do that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now you're just making me want bread. Because <laughs> uh, bread is delicious. Bread is Bread is life. Bread is, bread is life. There's a bakery in Grand Rapids. I, I think it's called Nantucket, but it has like cheesy jalapeno bread that is mm. so good. Like I just threw that in the toaster when I lived there and would be like, yes, this is nice. this is great breakfast bread. A little spice, a little cheese, add some butter to it. We don't add honey to that one. Um, Absolutely not. No, that would be gross. <laughs> well, Julia. Yeah. What do you think? So this, so the Starless Sea is, I guess you would call it almost episodic in nature because you have the main storyline, but then you have so many different through lines of the book 
from stories of the past, stories in the Starless Sea. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Starless Sea would be better suited for film or television? So I think it would probably better suited to a film due to cohesiveness. I don't think like if it was television and because it's so episodic, I don't know that it would be as easy to follow the storyline. Kind of like the way Witcher season one was they didn't explain that it was time jumping all over the place. Um, Oh, dear. That was so annoying. I mean, I figured it out eventually after Googling it, but like you're supposed to know that all of this stuff just happened at random times at, in like within the episodes, it would it would jump to different places. And anyway, um, I don't think that the Starless Sea would really be I would love for it to be a television show because there's so much in it. I just don't think it would be as understandable mm-hmm. if it was not just one piece. Yeah, absolutely. I hear your point. I think the issue I feel is that there's too much. Mm-hmm. So you would have to do it as a TV show unless you did like a Dune. And Dune is going through yes. the book really slowly. And yeah. they're taking their time with the movies. So if you know that you were you had been optioned to automatically do like a trilogy of films for this mm-hmm. one book, then you could do films. But otherwise you would have to do a TV show because I just... I can't imagine the world, a world where one movie would make sense mm-hmm. for this book. Yeah, I don't. But then again, like, I, I love the Starless Sea, but it doesn't have the same type of gravitas that Dune does. Like, Dune is, I know, is, has a massive following. And I feel like the Starless Sea, the people that have read it really love it, but not as many people yeah. have read it as Dune. And I also think the Starless Sea is about a love of stories and books. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, I think, I think the best medium for it is a book, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. with that being said, it could be a radio play that, could be that might be cool. That, that might be, be cool. weird. Let me think about that. That could be yeah. a maybe. I could see that. Are you going to write a radio play? No, absolutely not. <laughs> that sounds tough. It sounds hard. It does. But Maggie, um, let's cast it. Let's okay. just, let's throw all of our thoughts out the window about how yes. we feel of this being in any sort of movie or film. Let's just cast who we think should be in it. Okay. I'm just going to read my list of characters and then I want to hear yours and then we'll okay. delve into it. Okay? Mine's going to be like really off the top of my head. Oh, love it. Okay. I put yeah. little thought into it, but I'm pretty passionate about my choices. Okay. okay. So um, for... Zachary, I have John Boyega. Um, he's okay. in Star Wars. Okay. Star Wars is mm-hmm. really on my mind today. Um, for <laughs> Mirabelle, I have Jennifer Lawrence, and I'm really passionate about that choice. I don't really know why, but I just saw it and I can't unsee it. Um, for Dorian, okay. I have Andrew Garfield. Um, <laughs> I, <love I>, him. <laughs> <laughs> I did not do Allegra because I didn't know. So I did Cat <laughs> instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did Amelia Clark. Um, I love that. I, I can you. get behind that one. Yes. Thank you so much. For the keeper, I wasn't really sure what vibes he was giving me, but I cast him as Joseph Gordon Lovett. And we're gonna leave it, we're gonna leave it at that. And then for Zach's mom, I did Octavia Spencer. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Thank okay. You. So for Dorian, I'm thinking like a Ben Barnes type. I cannot take you seriously when you cast Ben Barnes because you cast him in everything. I do not. This is the third time you cast poor Ben. I usually cast Henry Cavill and stuff. 
Okay, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and he's not in this. <laughs> he can't be. But I mean, to be fair, Ben Barnes has done a lot of book adaptations. He just has that vibe. I guess. He was Prince Caspian in Narnia. He was the, the, whoever he was in Shadow and Bone. I'm forgetting the, the name currently. And he was great in both of those. Well, there we go. Yeah. Um, for Mirabelle. Okay. Okay. Here's the thing. I'm going to cast me as Mirabelle. Oh, my God. <laughs> We're going to throw me in there. <laughs> okay. No wonder you look so upset. I was like, hey, Jennifer Lawrence is great casting. I was like, uh, <laughs> Sorry no. I didn't cast you, Julia. Thank you. I appreciate that. I just look like Mirabelle, like you, down yeah. to the brown roots coming out of my pink hair. That's <laughs> fair. That's fair. <laughs> and she's got a chaotic energy. The only thing I don't have going for me is I always picture Mirabelle being like 5'10 and I am short. Like, I have a big personality, but I'm not a tall person. That's fair. That's mm -hmm. where Jennifer Lawrence would come in handy because I believe yeah. she's 5'8". Yes. Yeah. For The Keeper, I am casting Tan France. Interesting. Yeah. I think I've always gotten, like, a more put-together vibe. I know The Keeper's story isn't always as put-together as he's presented when he meets Zachary. Um, but just, like... I don't know. The way he was described, I, I just always picture like Tan France with like a long silvery wig on. I think he would be great. Very interesting. I guess I just can't. I could because I cast the keeper as someone who would be good in the role and good up against because I had already cast Jennifer Lawrence mm -hmm. because they are a duo. Yeah, I see it, but I'm I'm sticking with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Sorry. You do you. I mm, I think he's weird personally. You, but you don't even know him. <laughs> no, I just think he's he's an odd odd choice. Like he's kind of out of the middle of nowhere for me. Yeah, but that's not a bad thing. We got No, it's up. not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Um okay, you're going to love my Allegra, the polar okay. bear lady. Dame Judy Dench. Oh, so random. I love it. <laughs> Speaking of random, um, yes, I just can see her in a giant white fluffy coat. I mean, <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> sure we have like... seen her in a big white fluffy coat somewhere. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, your, your casting is so chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Um, I didn't really have anyone in mind for Zachary's mom. I really like Octavia Spencer. Um, I just, now that I've seen it, she's perfect. Yeah, you can't unsee it. No. She is, is excellent. She's a good choice. Um, for Zachary, I don't, I mean, I think last time we talked about this or maybe we didn't talk about this and I'm just imagining it. Um, I feel like I picked floppy haired like very potter musical darren chris maybe i don't um, remember talking about this okay that is all in my head then uh, <laughs> but i think like zachary is kind of a disheveled young man i think i mean a young oscar isaac would also be good yeah if we could unage him yeah if we had like the Oscar Isaac from Star Wars, that yeah. would probably be like between him or John Boyega. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I would see that. 
Mm-hmm. And Cat, I don't know. I mean, Cat is just she's cool. We haven't really talked about her all that much. No, Cat is such a great character because she starts. She's Zachary's friend um, at university, mm-hmm. and then he goes on this epic adventure. And then in the third act of the book, you go into her point of view, and you realize that he's been gone for like a year. And she's talking about how she's been trying to find him, and then she ends up being a really key component in. Mm-hmm the story of the starless sea and it's so cool actually leading into our next question the person that i would most want to be is totally cat yeah if i wasn't mirabelle i would also want to be cat honestly i would cast you as cat if i get to be mirabelle you can be cat thank you yeah i think both our vibes would generally fit that i agree i absolutely agree uh the character i would most want to meet is definitely the keeper i just feel like yeah. knows things mm-hmm. you know what i mean 100 percent. the keeper is so interesting to me yeah and he's the character i think that you find out the least about so he's still mysterious but you do find out like quite a bit about him absolutely i just think in some like i you just find out the least amount mm-hmm. you know yeah. i feel like you get such a closure to so many different stories the owl king dorian simon and mm-hmm. eleanor and then the keeper is still a little bit mysterious yeah. at the end which i love i like it well maggie we're reaching the end mm-hmm. the my least favorite time i know do you have any book recommendations for people that have read the starless sea this is the hardest thing i've ever had to do and i don't even say that to be dramatic i barely have any book recommendations because the starless sea is such an entity unto itself yeah it it, <laughs> it yeah it's so, hard it's really hard. Um, I have two books that I'm recommending. I'm not super set on them, mm-hmm. but they're all I could come up with. And one is The Night Circus because it's okay. also written by Aaron Morgenstern. So okay. if you like The Starless Sea, I think you'll definitely vibe with The Night Circus. Her writing style is very much the same. She just leans into it even more in this book. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also recommending The 10,000 Doors of January. Um, we talked about this in our first season. If you want to hear all of Julia's thoughts about the 10,000, <laughs> but it is also about stories sort of coming together and mm-hmm. the character January, um, finds doors that lead to other worlds and she gets mm-hmm. to discover and know so much more about other people and other stories and other lives. So that would be my other recommendation. Yeah, um, I'm going to piggyback on that because 10,000 Doors was also going to be one of my recommendations. Um, Just because it's hard to not think of 10,000 Doors and the Starless Sea. I think their vibes are the closest. Mm -hmm. Um, They also came out around relatively similar times, like they were published around the same times. Um, It's just so good. So that would be like my first recommendation. My next one is Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman. Oh, okay. Um, That one is also about a regular everyday man that goes through doors and finds himself in like this underground kind of fantasy world. The, The Neverwhere world is less magical feeling. It feels a little bit grungier. Um, mm-hmm. but it is still like very cool. So he goes through doors is actually a character named door who is able to create doors 
out of like an anywhere that's part of her her characteristics um so it is it is a very good book i recommend the illustrated version just because i think it it didn't take away but it didn't i don't know it was just a nice thing to have like these inked drawings around which were kind of cool Yeah. Um, and then I'm also going to throw A Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab in there. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. They also have doors, but only certain people can access them. <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny to me. Have doors, so I'm just recommending it. <laughs> Any books with doors. <laughs> but it is it is a good recommendation, I think. <laughs> Thanks. Well, Julia, any final thoughts for the people of novel finds. Yeah, I think The Starless Seas is a really good book. It is dense. I would say that it is best read in a colder time. Um, It's not like a fun, flirty summer read or anything, but it is really good. It is is a very good story. Mm -hmm. You? Any final thoughts? Absolutely. I think take the time to read it, you know? It's not a mm-hmm. fast read, but it is a great read. And I think it's something that I have loved coming back to again and again. And I find something new to really love and cherish in this story every time. And I think mm-hmm. it's absolutely worth it. Yeah. Like Dorian's toe socks. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> with that, we heckin' did it, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, share us with your other bookish friends and family. If you're listening with Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the show. We are off to record our newest thing for Patreon. (laughs) If you're interested in joining our Novel Finds community on Patreon, follow the link in our Instagram bio. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Novel Finds Podcast. Thank you so much for being a novel friend. We'll see y'all next week. 